The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Punt and Pass Podcast. Touchdown, baby! Now, here are your hosts, two-time All-American punter Drew Butler. Mark Rick would like Drew Butler to hit it a mile in the air. And he did. What a kick. And the SEC's career leader in touchdown passes and completions, Aaron Murray. Touchdown! In stride as he crosses the goal line. Put it right on his hip. What a throw. Now, with the latest from around the SEC and the world of college football, it's the Punt and Pass Podcast. Get to the house! Sideline! Pylon! Touchdown! And the dogs are on the board first. Victory is mine. Yeah, surprisingly, I've been lame. All right, welcome in to the Punt and Pass podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler, joined as always by my co-host, Aaron Murray. Aaron, SEC media days have come and gone. Media days throughout college football are wrapping up this week as we speak. We have a special guest on the podcast this week. It's Jack McGuire from Barstool Sports. Follow him on Twitter at Mac. CFB that's at Jack Mac CFB and Aaron I've been a Barstool sports fan for quite some time Jack came on the scene a couple years ago I'd read his stuff and I'd say damn this guy knows what he's talking about he covers college football in a pretty unique way which I know all of our listeners will enjoy so we're gonna have a lot of fun today wrapping up exactly what's been going on what the coaches have said what the players have said throughout college football and media days of course if you're listening you need to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Punt and Pass. Aaron is at AaronMurray11, and I am at DrewButler13 on Twitter and Instagram. Boys, July is wrapping up. Everybody's about to report to college fall camp. NFL training camps are actually underway also. So, football is right around the corner. Of course, we're going to do Punt and Pass podcasts once a week up until the start of the season, Aaron. And then we'll be with you every Monday and Thursday throughout the season. So, Aaron, you're back from Hoover. You were at SEC Media Days. Glad to have you back in the fold. And Jack McGuire is on the call right now. He is going to be our guest for the entire duration of the episode. So, boys, what's going on? Jack, we'll start with you, our guest. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I'm really uh, excited to be here and talk some uh, football with you guys. I know we we uh, don't want to take the podcast into my own hands, but I was in I, a few, I don't know if you guys saw this an hour ago, but the Notre Dame game against Georgia, which uh, is going to be they CBS moved it to prime time. I thought that was a little bit interesting. Oh yeah, absolutely. Aaron, you're probably gonna be is working it, that game, right? Was it the three thirty game or is it eight o'clock game where they moved? They it just, to? they just, it was, it was supposed to be three thirty, and they just moved it to eight okay. o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. That's been kind of, yeah, that's, there's Maybe. a feeling for that, and I thought, and I think Tennessee, Florida will be the 3:30 game. Trust me, I I freaking wish when CBS called me and said, "Hey, we're giving you Week Four CBS," I was like, "Oh crap, that's that's freaking Georgia Notre Dame. Like, yeah. They're giving me the big boy game. Let's go, let's go!" And then uh, Gary's like, "No, no, no, no. You, you simmer down, young pup. You you get the 3:30. I'm gonna take the eight o'clock." 
So I don't think they, I think you said it right. I think they formally announced that now it's the eight o'clock game. I just think there's zero chance that Gary would have let me, Gary Danielson would have let me had that game. <laughs> no, it's, it's just, it, there's no, listen, I'll take floor. I think it's, so there's chiller games that week. that are good SEC games. You have Auburn and A&M, I believe. And then you have Tennessee and Florida and Tennessee has a pretty cupcake schedule to start the season off. So there's a good chance they could be undefeated. We know Florida's a good team and, I think that's a sexier matchup, possibly. So I'm hoping – I'm not hoping I'll take either game, honestly. But I'm, I'm thinking I'll be in Gainesville for week four. But, damn, it would have been sweet to call that game. Versus <laughs> yeah, no chance they're going to throw you to the Wolves with the 8 p.m. CBS game. Dominate that game. It would be like a <laughs> cake. Knock it out of the park and uh, just keep it rolling. You know, I would have, I would have at least thrown out the pun pass at least five times during the game as well. Well, then I would have been a big fan of that for sure. But yeah, big news there, Jack. Thanks for bringing that up. CBS just officially announced that week four, it will be a doubleheader weekend. Which you know, you got that feeling over the off season that bounces the Alabama LSU game out of primetime. They are not going to do the Alabama LSU game. I think in primetime this year. That's one of the first times in years that that will not be an 8 p.m. game they're going to head to Athens week four probably the earliest primetime CBS game in in a long time so that'll be awesome Aaron you're right I'm guessing the Tennessee Florida game will be the 330 matchup both teams probably undefeated up to that point and we can talk about that if we want to right now I would have to guess that that will be a little bit more competitive of a game than some people would think I know you're high on Florida Aaron which shouldn't surprise any of our listeners you and Dan Mullen are boys everybody knows that but let's (laughs) talk about I have to to be unbiased when the game comes along I listen I was leaving media day last week there's a couple teams that you know, it's 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 talking season, but they kind of got me excited a little bit. One, Missouri, and two was Tennessee. I I honestly, yeah. I'm not I'm not drinking the Kool Aid, but I, I feel like it's going to be a better year for Jeremy Pruitt. I really do. I think he grew up as a coach. I think he learned from some of the stuff that he may have done well or not done well last season. They recruited a little bit better, so I, who knows? And they got a good quarterback. Aaron Thomas looked dang good quarterback. They got some good receivers. If they can get their offensive line protecting him, they it could be a pretty good game down there in Gainesville. So we'll see. We'll see how everyone's looking come week four. Jack, what did you think about Jeremy Pruitt opening up his media days with a 22-minute filibuster going over every single position <laughs> on the depth chart? I mean, that was a bit much. But, hey, he's still pretty green when it comes to being a head coach. Oh, Jeremy, uh, yeah, I did. I did see. I think he had the most words said at SEC Media Day. Someone broke down all the words. I think he had over four thousand or something. Maybe even <laughs> maybe even uh, five thousand. Jeremy's a Jeremy's an interesting guy. I agree with um, I agree with <clears throat> what Aaron said. I know he mentioned Missouri as well. I think um, that division, of course, uh, it's always it was Florida's for a bit, and now Georgia's taking it over. But uh, Tennessee. <clears throat> is in Missouri it's it's kind of on the uptick and um I think Missouri's a team that although they have the the violet uh I think they're not allowed to go to a bowl game this year I think they uh, NCAA for I think it's still under appeal right so if it hasn't been yeah if it's under appeal still they can go but if the NCAA Uh, rules during this season then they're not going to be allowed to but I think um I don't know both of your guys opinions on Kelly Bryant but Drew Locke was a good, was a good quarterback, but uh, I think Kelly could kind of transform that team into something that uh, could be 
not to the level of Alabama, Georgia, but maybe that tier below, that Florida well, tier. Well, I think that when you look at Missouri and the biggest thing for these guys is their schedule is a complete joke. I mean, South Carolina's tough schedule, A&M has a tough schedule. When you look at Missouri, at Wyoming, West Virginia, Southeast Missouri, South Carolina at home, bye week, Troy, Mississippi, what? at Vandy, I can take, dude, they could be 8-0 and heading into Georgia, and then they get a bye week before they play Georgia. So 8-0, and bye week, confidence, Kelly Bryant might be rolling at that point with the offense. That could be a dangerous game. Wow, they have a bye November week before 9. Georgia. They got a bye week, and they play – of their first eight games, the toughest game they're probably going to play is South Carolina, and they have South Carolina at home. Because Wyoming, at Wyoming, that should be interesting. I'm actually call that game. West Virginia is in a complete re- rebuilding mode. Southeast Missouri, no. Troy, no. Mississippi, uh, they got to replace their entire offense. At Vandy, at Kentucky, we'll see those games. But Missouri should be favored. So 8-0 and heading into Georgia after a bye. Uh, it's kind of dangerous. Then even after their schedule, though, I mean, Georgia – they have Florida at home. Florida has to travel to Missouri. It's going to be cold as hell on November 16th. You know those Florida boys don't want to play Missouri. Tennessee's at home. And then they play at Arkansas to finish the season up. And Arkansas is uh, about three years away from being competitive. So, <laughs> I mean, you can make a case Missouri could be 11-1 this season. Oh, my. I think that's jumping way too far I'm ahead just, of no, no. Drew, go through the schedule. And I'm looking at it right now. Tell me right now. They, you cannot tell me you can't make a case that Missouri could be 11-1. and one. Tell me what games they're going to lose besides Georgia. Uh, I mean, you know, who knows? Well, West Virginia is going to Columbia, so I would think that's going to be a win. South Carolina, oh. you never know. Muschamp will have the boys ready to play. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you're the, right. The, I Missouri mean, should be favored in that game. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think Florida's a better team, but Florida has to go to Missouri. Like I said, it's cold. Those guys don't want to play in the cold. cold. Tennessee, we'll see. If Tennessee has a lot of question marks. And, and like I said, Arkansas is not very good. So, And, and Missouri I mean, took it to Tennessee last year. Oh, I think they, they blew them out by like 30 points last year at up. Tennessee. And they, no. whipped, be an up, they whipped up on Florida too, 38-17. It's going to be an interesting year for sure. So watch out for the Missouri Tigers. I think the two biggest things, obviously, funny, are the offensive line be, and Kelly Bryant. How funny would it be if Missouri goes – 11-1, win the East, and they can't even play in the freaking SEC championship game. <laughs> I mean, how crappy would that be when they have complied with the NCAA, they've done everything right, and they have the most cupcake schedule in all the SEC. This could be the year they could make it back to Atlanta, possibly get into the, into the Final Four, and they could get screwed by this whole, you know, stupid tutor at the end of the day. So, yeah, right, that, that whole tutor thing was, was crazy, and then it, it, could they appeal it in a way where they would push it back to like if they appealed it long enough that they could have the bull band be for 2020 uh, the, or I guess 2021? Yeah, I, th- I think if, it, if there's no decision made, they're going to keep playing and they'll be able to play and all the stuff. So if, if the decision's made postseason, then it would have to affect, I would think, the next year. So a lot of fingers are crossed. A lot of fingers are crossed, and you heard it here first. Aaron Murray is saying that Missouri is going to win the SEC and go to the college football playoff. Wow, really? We're going to throw that out there on July, July, July 23rd. We're making bold, bold comments over there. Hey, speaking hey, of the college that, football. Who knows how to get, get some, you know, put words in my mouth over here. Absolutely. Got to figure it out somehow. At the stadium. Got to figure it out somehow. Speaking of the college football playoff, though, heading towards some of the storylines that were made last week during media days, Alabama 
trounced Oklahoma last year in the Orange Bowl to the College Football National Championship semifinal and then got their ass kicked by Clemson 44 to 16 in the National Championship. We all remember that. So of course when Nick Saban and Alabama were at Media Days in Hoover, they knew they were going to get asked about it. They knew they were going to get asked about how they're dealing with it and what they're going to do to fix it heading into 2019. Head coach Nick Saban made some headlines. I want to get both of y'all's opinions. On this, I think Nick Saban is pretty notorious for deflecting blame. We all know he's the greatest coach in college football, probably the greatest coach in college football history. If you don't respect the man for that, then you got something wrong with yourself. But this is what he does. Here's a quote that he said, Aaron and Jack. He came out and said, some people had their own agendas after we beat LSU. And he almost he was throwing his coaches under the bus. He said it's hard to keep coaches focused when they are chasing other head coaching opportunities. He said that's just something we have to deal with. So he wasn't necessarily making an excuse, right? He wasn't saying, hey, we lost because my assistant coaches are so good and my operation is so good that they have to chase other head coaching opportunities when we still have six weeks left in the season or when we are preparing for Clemson and these guys are getting interviews at other schools. But he simply didn't say Clemson was better than us. We weren't prepared well enough. They executed better. He didn't say that. And to me, it just rubs me the wrong way. I mean, Coach Saban, just say, we got our asses beat and Clemson took it to us. I don't understand why he has to come out and say, it's tough. We have to deal with stuff that nobody else has to deal with. We're so good that our 28 coaches over the past five years have gone to other schools. Why can't he just accept the blame and look forward to 2019? Well, I hate everyone wants to talk about these coaches. It's the coaches' fault. They have. Does it play a role? Yes. I mean, would you maybe have been a little bit better? I, who know? You're 14 and one for goodness' sake. You were blowing people out at the end of the first quarter. The game was over half the time. You're playing ball games. So, was it the coach's fault? No. I, I just think it was a bad day, and I just think the competition, and and the the difference between Alabama and Georgia, and Alabama and Oklahoma, and Alabama and Clemson, and maybe another, a couple other teams. In the country, the gap is shrunken, plain and simple. It's a smaller oh, yeah. gap where if you're Alabama, you can't have a C game and expect to go win. You can't have a B minus game and expect to go beat Clemson or Georgia. You need a B plus. You need an A game to go out there and compete and win these games. Now, it's I'm sorry. It's not what it was four years ago when you just roll through everyone when you play competitive teams. You, you got to bring your A game, plain and simple. Like I said, w- would the coaches have made that big of a difference? No, that, not that big of a difference. They got their, like you said, they got their ass whooped, plain and simple. Move on, take some pro- take some pride in, in in doing what you need to do to get ready for the next season. So we'll see. Clemson's been talking a little bit of noise too. I think some of their players at ACC Media Day were saying that uh, Notre Dame was a tougher game than Alabama. Or better football. <laughs> so, listen. Shut up! You know that ain't that's not true. We know we all know that's not true. Alabama just had a be, a, a bad day that day. Alabama is far superior to Notre Dame when it comes to talent and coaching. Um, don't start stirring the pot. So it's 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 looked like it's brewing based on you know who's who's back for both teams. I think Alabama had a heck of a lot of uh, first team votes. I think what twelve, yeah. and that just looked. Clemson had 13 out of 27 spots for preseason first team all ACC. So both teams are loaded. So it's looking like they'll be uh, once again playing each other in the playoffs or the championship 
coming into the season. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see who's ready. I mean, there's no question, Jack. Alabama beat every team last year by 20 points or more in the regular season. They just got past Georgia in the SEC championship game. They rolled Oklahoma and pretty much let up in the fourth quarter. And then they got exposed by Clemson. And for whatever reason, the players and Coach Saban did not say we got outclassed and we did not do well enough. I just I don't get it. I don't get what could, no. what they could gain from that by not just saying it and moving towards 2019. No, I completely agree. I, I Aaron brought it up. Uh, the Clemson players were doing it as well. It seemed like uh, during the media days it was just Clemson uh, Alabama players saying it was Dylan Moses, who's looking like he'll be a top ten pick, maybe even a top five. He said, quote, unquote, it was more preparation. I wouldn't say they were a better team. Georgia is definitely the hardest team I've played in college. And then Clemson comes back and says, oh, yeah, we like you are the hardest team we played. Notre Dame was it was kind of like a uh, like a bad breakup, per se. I mean, it was Quentin Williams. Quentin Williams said it right after the game. Uh, He said it was they Clemson's office offense wasn't hard as well. And they were very easy. And if you guys remember correctly, Clemson scored 44 points in three quarters, and they could have put another fifth, uh, another touchdown up in that yeah. fourth quarter. Dabo kind of called off the troops. It's just, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of annoying. It's like it's I was talking it season. It's yeah. just straight up talking season. Everyone yeah. wants to. It's uh, talking season to measure it a little bit. Let me give you I some names say- though. Listen to this. I mean, Tua Tungavaloa, Najee Harris, Jerry Judy. Henry Ruggs, Dylan Moses. I mean, those are five potential first-round draft picks that they all go to the NFL next year. For them to sit there and try to accept or or deflect that they did not lose because of their not being well-prepared enough or the coaches weren't locked in, focused enough, it's just crazy to me. You guys both said it, though. It's talking season. That's exactly what it is. People need to find something to write about, need to find something to talk about. And look, we just took 10 minutes talking about just that another interesting very interesting talking point that came out of media days this from the big 10 okay is a very polarizing figure in college football that of course is jim harbaugh head coach of michigan jack i read your article last week you're bullish on the wolverines i was not a year ago aaron was he picked them to be in the college football playoff which almost came true if they would have beaten ohio state towards the end of the season harbaugh comes out and says he thinks that each student athlete should be able to transfer once in four years without having to sit out a season he also threw in his opinion about players citing mental health reasons for wanting to transfer and that's kind of what he said in a very backhand way he said instead of trying to make up excuses whatever they may be mental health or not let them transfer once and not have to sit out a season and that may take away some of the gamesmanship in the transfer uh situation throughout college football what are your thoughts on that jack because i am completely against allowing student athletes to transfer once without having to sit out all right. So, I mean, so my perspective is a little is much different than your both of you guys, because I, I didn't play college football. I'm a fan. And my perspective is that, like, if I wanted to transfer to school, I could transfer when I was in college, I could transfer right away and I wouldn't have to, like, sit out of class or anything. I know it's different because I wasn't on a full scholarship and I signed a national letter of intent X, Y and Z. I could go on and on and on. But 
uh, the the Harbaugh. Cool. I I guess I'm just for letting the kids play, quote unquote, for lack of a better way of saying that. But also, I understand I'm not 100% within that argument. I'm not 100% sold. I hear the other side as well because at a certain point, does college football become free agency? And then what does it do to the college football landscape? Because we already have a class of haves and have-nots in college football for sure. The top of the top and then at the more bottom, maybe that's a G5 and whatnot. Will Power 5 coaches come and uh, pretty much poach the best G5 players, and then it just becomes like instead of D1 and D1AA, there's like Power 5, G5, and then FCS, which I guess you could already argue already happens. But then I also think in my mind, if a player goes to, let's say, um, Tulsa, and he's a great quarterback, and then uh, let's say uh, somebody comes calling, like Arkansas, Chad Morris calls him up and says, hey, we want you to play for us next year. Uh, I just... That's him trying to, like, that's his best situation. But I also get the argument that maybe there's, like, where's the commitment? Where's, uh, if you're allowed to do that, where does it stop? So, I don't know. I just, uh, it's an interesting argument. I'm not sold on anything. For me, I just, uh, I think it's players should be allowed to transfer once and play immediately. But um, I also get the side that maybe that's not what they should be allowed to do. I'm, I'm kind of a... I think it's kind of kooky, honestly, but that's, that's Jim Herbal. He's, he probably had three steaks that morning and a couple beers and before he jumped on the podium. So <laughs> I'm not, I don't, I'm not a fan. You commit somewhere, commit yes. somewhere. I mean, yes. at the end of the day, your goal in life is to play college football, whether it's at a big time school or whether it's at a smaller school, you, you get a chance to, to get a great education. You get a chance to play football, to continue your career. I mean, there's so many people that would love to be in your shoes. And, and I'm more in the greens of what happens when you say like a, a great quarterback or a great running back, all of a sudden has a great year at a smaller school. Then they're like, Oh, let me just move on up to the big boy league now and then completely screw their school behind him. So I just think that loyalty factor is lost. I think the kids are just a little soft. They don't want to push through the grind. They want immediate gratification where it comes to, I want to show up day one. I want to be the man. I want to be the starter. I don't want to have to work for it or sit behind someone or be third string or be scout team. Dude, I was scout team. Suck it up. Grind through it, my friend. I mean, you might not be starter day one, plain and simple. It's not that easy. It shouldn't be that easy. Anything in life that's going to be awesome Anytime you have success, you, you got to go through some kind of hardship most of the time, unless you're unless you're Alabama. But <laughs> just suck it up, grind through it, figure it out, and let's let's just work. So no, I, it, I, I don't I don't like it making it easy for these kids just to to pick up and leave just because of something may seem easier, the grass may seem greener on the other side. You're 100 percent correct. I mean, you're you're essentially creating free agency in college football if you were to implement the rule where you could transfer once every four years and not have to sit out a season. Graduate transfers, I'm totally cool with that. If you graduate and then want to go to graduate school at another place and play right away, good for you. You've deserved it. But Jack, you brought up a great point. Hey, if Tulsa's quarterback is rocking and rolling, and then Dan Mullen calls him up at the end of the season and says, Hey, you know, Felipe's graduating, we'd plug and play you right away. That kid is leaving Tulsa and going to Gainesville. There's no doubt about it. So I'm definitely against it. I don't think the NCAA would ever do it anyway, which is probably what's going to end up happening. Speaking of NCAA, and I did not write this down, so this is going to be out of left field for both of y'all. If you follow Reddit College Football on Twitter, which I'm sure you do, Jack, 
Aaron, you probably do as well. The guy who runs it brought up a great point yesterday, and this is completely off the wall, so excuse me for going off on a tangent. He said if the NCAA or if a school were to fund their own account for like an Uber or a Lyft account (laughs) and the players could use it to not drink and drive, would the NCAA allow it? I mean, I thought it was a brilliant idea. I think it's a great idea. But the NCAA would never do it. No. It's just so stupid. All right, excuse me for that. The player's really not first at the end of the day, but whatever. No, they're definitely not. Jack, you wrote an article about this on Barstool Sports last week. Jake Fromm showed up at SEC Media Days. He had his sunglasses on with the croakies, a very Warner Robins, Georgia look. If you lived in the state of Georgia, you would know exactly. You'd see it a lot more. But – there was a lot of accusations of Jake Fromm wearing a clip-on <laughs> bow tie. It caught wildfire. I mean, it really did. It was all over the place. I kind of looked at a couple of different pictures to judge myself. And his mom, Jake Fromm's mom, even went on Twitter to say, it's not a clip-on. I bought it. It's not a clip-on. So, Aaron, did you What's see What's wrong it? with a clip-on first off? Yeah, you I can't. Got, no. <laughs> no. I wore a damn clip-on to my wedding about two months ago, you know? <laughs> You think I'm going to try to tie my tie before my wedding? That thing would look so bad. So, oh, wow. Deal. I don't get the big deal about the clip on the first place. Aaron Murray, clip on bow tie guy. That shouldn't surprise me, though. But I don't think Jake Fromm's was not a clip on. At least that's what his mom said. It was just a very well tied bow tie. Jack, you wrote an article about it. Do you think it was a clip on? Well, all right. So there's a guy at a bar stool he served in the army and he played at um at west point he was a quarterback and he's i I guess now he's on a podcast called zero blog 30 and he's a big college football guy i talk with him a lot and and he is a guy who i I would say he's pretty um i mean i would say he's pretty he's like a preppy guy that's how he he dresses so yeah and i saw the clip on stuff going crazy on twitter not crazy but as we said it's talking season so if there's even like the littlest thing we talk about it um he i reached out to him and he said it's 100 percent a clip on tie (laughs) he says you can tell by the shape of the tie and also how it's drooping down a bit when a bow tie looks perfectly even and symmetrical symmetrical more often it is a clip-on so this guy captain cons on twitter he uh, he could be wrong i wrote a, a joking blog what does jake Fromm's clip-on blow tie say uh bow tie say about george's title chances but i mean i don't know how to tie a bow this tie. is how exciting sec media week yeah. was last week that we're talking about jake Fromm, and if it was a boat that's why when I said one silly little thing last year, it just blows up because any little message that, you know, stirs any kind of pot's going to just blow up because it's all – it's all – listen, the entire week is roses. Everyone's undefeated. Everyone but Arkansas feels like they have a chance to win the SEC. And then uh, you just don't have much to say. So, of course, you're going to talk about a bow tie. So I'm still in the camp of who cares. I wore a clip on. I'm going to stand with it. Hopefully Sharon doesn't realize that I wore a clip on and doesn't get mad at me for wearing a clip on during our wedding. But <laughs> I don't think I've ever torn, torn a bow tie or tied a bow tie before. And so. Somebody uh, reached out to me, and then also someone who works here at Barstool was saying, "And there's history to Jake Fromm's bow ties because I guess in QB one, which he was featured in." He couldn't put on his bow tie at prom, ah. and it was definitely a clip on during QB one. So I I don't know. Maybe I I did see the tweet from his mother about the uh, 
Are you was guys, it his father? Are you guys um, bow tie or tie guys? I mean, when I show up to SEC media day, I'm wearing a tie. Oh, I mean, I'm a bow tie. tie guy. Yeah, tie. Message. Yeah, just keep yeah. it easy then. Bow ties for tuxedo for me at yes. least. I mean, maybe I'm if you're going to the derby or something, you could throw a bow tie on. But yeah, maybe a derby. Yeah, SEC media day, just put a tie on. Be, be done. What did you think thing. of Jake from wearing? He kept the sunglasses on. <laughs> like, That's just such a Georgia thing. Is, yeah, I thought yeah. it was perfect. It was a great look. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know he's the quarterback of Georgia, and he's from Warner Robins, so he can do that. The picture of Jake Fromm from SEC Media Days with his fake or real bow tie, whatever it is, with the glasses, needs to be put up as a poster in a bar in Athens somewhere. <laughs> I think Bourbon Street could do it. Just like official Radisson. uniform well, yeah official uniform right here if you're gonna dress up this is what you need to look like that's too funny well you know what i love my mom i love moms in general so i'm gonna ride with jake Fromm's mom here and say that i don't think it was a clip on i think he's got too much class for that at least i hope maybe i'll ask him if i see him aaron you could do the same if you head up to a practice during fall camp i want to ask y'all sticking on georgia and then we're going to kind of transition to florida and what the hell is going on with the transfer portal down there a lot of news being talked about with the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, Jacksonville, Georgia-Florida game. People are speculating whether or not this series is headed towards a home-and-home, home, taking the game out of Jacksonville and going back to Athens and Gainesville. Aaron, it's crazy because I know probably the only SEC stadium you didn't play at was the Swamp. It was the same for me. I've never been down to Gainesville. I've never been on the campus. I've never been inside Bell Hill, Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. It's kind of a bummer. I wish I could have checked it out at some point. It seems like the general consensus here between Kirby Smart and Dan Mullen is that they're both sick of losing a home recruiting weekend when those are so important throughout the season out, especially with that December signing period. I think, Aaron, when Georgia allowed the SEC to move the Auburn game, which is the Deep South's oldest rivalry, which was always, almost always in November, late season game, a lot of times it decided who would go to the SEC championship game. Georgia allowed the SEC to come in and say, hey, this game's going to late September, early October. They didn't even put up a fight. I was like, why in the hell would Georgia do that? Why would Georgia allow one of their most storied rivalries to be switched in the schedule, which really benefits Auburn a lot more than Georgia because now Auburn gets to keep keep that game away from the Iron Bowl. I think it was because Georgia knows for a fact that the Florida game is headed towards a home-and-home, and and they'll be able to get that home recruiting weekend back, and they won't have to give it up. So that's my two cents. I think the game's going to a home-and-home. I would love it to be home and home. I mean, I, I grew up in Florida. I grew up in Tampa. I was an hour and a half from Gainesville. I would go to games all the time. And it's a heck of a stadium. I mean, that is one of the best stadiums in college football uh, down there in Gainesville. And, and, and Athens, obviously, is one of the best, too. I'm not going to you know throw our, throw our stadium under the bus here. But I think players for Georgia would love to go to Gainesville and play. And I think players in Gainesville would love to come up and play here in Sanford Stadium. So, there's, and there's so much crossover, too, with recruiting with Georgia players who grew up Georgia fans, but they decided to go to Florida and Florida yeah. f- kids that grew up Florida fans that, you know, maybe their spot was taken. So they go to Georgia. I mean, you want to go play in your home state. It would be kind of cool. And then same same for Florida kids as well. So I'm all for going home and home. I, I think it would be sweet. I think everyone would enjoy it. I know there's a. I think McGarity was talking about just the money and obviously the, the, the money you get every single year from Jacksonville, it's consistent. Uh, the money that the city makes Jacksonville makes is through the roof just on that weekend with all the people coming down. But 
I don't know. I'm, I'm all, I, I think recruiting is, is such a big, big, big thing now. I mean, the amount of money that's being spent on all the bells and whistles from, I mean, look at LSU. LSU has sleeping pods in their freaking locker rooms right now. I mean, recruiting and all this fancy stuff is where it's at. So your biggest game is a great chance, a great opportunity for you to kind of show off your campus, to show these recruits. Yeah. This is what it's like to be a bulldog or to be a gator uh, on the biggest weekend of the year. Because that is, I mean, at the end of the day, regardless of how good each team is, that is the biggest game on the schedule. You feel it no matter what, if Georgia is five and five or five and two and Florida's two and five, whatever the, the, the rankings are, that is a gigantic game. The, the campuses would be nuts. The atmosphere would be incredible. So I think you want kids to experience. It. I think you want kids to kind of go out there and see and say, damn, I want to be a bulldog because of that time I went and watched a game in Sanford stadium when they played Florida. So I, I think it's heading to that direction and I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of looking forward to it. It's extremely unique, Jack. I mean, it's a bowl game atmosphere in the middle of the season. It's Georgia's fall break. It's Florida's fall break. The students leave on Wednesday. They party all weekend. The, the stadium is split in half. I can only think of uh, the Red River shootout, Oklahoma and Texas. That game is in Dallas. And then Army-Navy. That game's in Philadelphia or Baltimore. I know it rotates. But those are really the only three games off the top of my head that I can think of that are in neutral sure. sites. Drew, I think that the people that would be most upset would be all the kids from Georgia that don't get to go to Frat Beach for two days. Yeah, I mean, that would make most sense. <laughs> that would yeah. be a complete bummer if they can't go do that. Yeah, so I don't know, Jack. I, I think it's headed towards a home-and-home, and, home, and I, I can sense it by the way the head coaches are talking about it. I think they'll kind of nudge the athletic directors and the school presidents to make that happen. But the reason I was heading towards the Georgia and the Florida talking point is because Dan Mullen was on stage at SEC Media Days, and while he was on stage, one of his players entered the transfer portal. It's an absolutely insane amount of players from Florida who are going into the transfer portal. There's plenty of memes on social media where you can see empty locker rooms. I mean, what the hell is going on? I simply don't get it, and it can't be good for recruiting do you have any insight to what's going on in Gainesville, Jack? Well, I think it's up to 10 this offseason. Uh, I'm shocked, especially by the the biggest one was Chris Steele. I think he was the, the defensive back who ended up going, maybe it was Oregon. Or, no, I think he's at USC. He was a five-star. And losing him right away, I don't know, maybe something changed in his personal life or I don't know. I don't know why it changed within four to five months, but to, I think other four and five stars out there, they know who Chris Steele is. Um, they see this stuff happening and they've got to be thinking what the hell is going on. And uh, maybe I'm sure Dan and the other guys within Florida are kind of uh, doing damage control within their recruiting. But I mean, I, I, I like Dan Mullen a lot. I think he's a great coach. Uh, his recruiting class was pretty good until he lost uh, Chris Steele and yeah. and Jalen Jones. But the Jalen Jones one was a little bit more of a sketchy situation with that included a, a potential uh, criminal criminal situation. I don't know. So that one might have just been like Jalen Jones isn't going to be playing any big time football anytime soon. But. Uh, the Chris Steele loss was big, and then the other ones, they were mostly four stars. But I guess if you're losing someone in Florida, it's more likely than not he's going to be a four-star player. But I, I don't know. I mean, uh, they're not losing starters, but 
They're losing a lot of. I, well, you're also, I don't you're know. Losing, you have to build a culture. It's kind of like what happened in Nebraska last year. I mean, all these kids want to leave because they don't want to buy in. So Dan set a precedent of this is what this is how things are going to be run. This is how I'm going to coach. This is how off season's going to go. This is how the season's going to go. And and uh, either buy in or you can leave. You know, you go you go in through the transfer portal. So I think it's a mixture of kids not wanting to buy into the system, which is silly. Uh, and two, once again, going back to what we talked about earlier, kids just not wanting to kind of work through the grind of not being the starter or trying to go earn a position. So, I mean, everyone has their own personal reasons maybe, but I think those two things are kind of a mixture in the top two from, in my mind of, of why people are leaving. It's like I said, it's a new culture, either buy in or, you know, some of these older guys are, are just going to move on. Yeah. It could take a little bit longer than expected. I know Phil Steele's got Florida finishing second in the sec East this year. The biggest question mark is going to be that offensive line, Aaron, as a quarterback, you spoke to it last week. It's just going to be tough, especially for a guy like Felipe Franks, who is trying to, to continue to develop and become that primetime quarterback. And he's just going to have a tough time being accurate and consistent if defensive lines are breathing out his throat game after game. So now, that'll be tough. Aaron, do you do you like Felipe as a quarterback? I, I honestly do. He oh, okay. is he is a big old dude. I mean, giant, yeah. big arm. Uh, I think confidence got bigger, better and better as the season went on last year. And I love, I love what Dan Mullen told us when we interviewed him at SEC media days is he said, dude, I told him to just block out all the noise. Like stop looking at Twitter, stop listening to kids on campus. Like the only person that you need to worry about is me. Like if I'm happy with you and what you're doing, then go out there and play. And I think, I think you could see, even talking with the Felipe, see him mature a little bit. He just, he walks a little taller, even though he's six, six. I mean, he looks like he's six, seven now. Uh, he just has a little bit swagger, a little bit more confidence in himself, his game. I think the system is not super, super complicated. Dan kind of, I don't want to say dumbs it down, but he, he plays to the strengths of his quarterbacks. He gets the ball, their hands fast. They got great skill positions around him. Uh, the offense line is going to be an issue, but uh, like I said, I think the way the RPOs and what Dan uses offensively, the ball will be out of Felipe's hands fast enough uh, before you have to really worry about a, a defense lineman hitting you right in the face most of the time. So I think his development's ready to take that next level. Like I said, the confidence you saw in the second half of the season last year makes me believe that he's going to keep in, uh, continue to move forward and forward with Dan, Mo- Dan Mullen as his, uh, as his coach. All right, let's talk about one more thing before we wrap up this week's episode of Punt and Pass. LSU made some headlines this week, especially with their new football locker room. It's awesome. It's absolutely unbelievable. They pumped in, I think, $29 million into their football locker room. I love it. The video of the you know, setting the standard, it, the arms race in college football facilities is something that's unlike anything across any industry, really. Check it out if you haven't yet. LSU's new football locker room is great. I loved all the teachers bitching and complaining, saying, look at this. This is our library. I'm like, yeah, that's because nobody goes to the library. There's 100,000 people every Saturday in the football stadium. The football team actually creates revenue for the university. That's why $29 million goes to the football locker room. But Coach O and Joe Burrow made some positive headlines at Media Days as well. Remember, the expectation for LSU last year was not very high whatsoever. They whooped up on Miami in the first week of the season. Then they upset Auburn. And, of course, they knocked Georgia around when Georgia went to Baton Rouge in the middle of the season. You can't forget, though, 
They did not score a point against Alabama. They lost 29 to nothing. Joe Burrow, head uh, quarterback, excuse me, and Ed Orgeron, the head coach, they're both returning, and it seems like maybe the media was thinking that this could be the year that they get past Alabama. I tend to think otherwise. I, I don't think they're going to get blown out, that's for sure. I don't think it's going to be score a point. I think they'll score a point. <laughs> I, I, I really do. I think it's a better offense this year. I think Joe Burrow is a better quarterback. Obviously, there's a lot of excitement about this new offense. We're going to see three or four receivers, and shoot, maybe we'll see every, five receivers. Every offseason, I hear about the LSU as a new offense. Yes. And every single time they come out, and it's it's boring. Yeah, it, I, I agree. But it's that's why I worry <laughs> yeah, about with these offenses boring. is – do they get away from it? I mean, do they get, if they get through the first couple of weeks, I say they go to Texas with this new offense at Texas, who's a good football team. And and we'll see if they're ready to continue to go. That'll be a sweet game. If Texas puts a stopping on LSU, not even stopping, but say the game's 20 to 13, does LSU then say, Oh, that offense didn't work. It's been two weeks. We gave it a shot. Let's go back to our old offense. So how committed to it is kind of my bigger question. If, if they're, they're talking all this game of we worked all spring Joe Burrow saying we've been working all summer on the formations, on the plays. It's awesome. I feel great. This is kind of the offense that's built for me. How long are they actually going to give it before fans are like, screw that, go back to your old offense, play great defense, and win games 24 to 13? So, uh, like I said, we'll see how long they stay committed to the offense is my biggest worry for this season. Yeah, it, w- it will be a, a test of metal for sure. But if Sam Ellinger is the reincarnation of Tim Tebow like he was in the Sugar Bowl against Georgia last year, then I would expect Texas to probably take it to LSU. That will be a great game second week of the season. Jack, I, I just I have troubled, like you just mentioned, all we hear about every offseason is LSU's new offense, LSU's new offense. I just don't trust, when it comes down to it, Coach O beating Nick Saban. Yeah. The biggest thing with LSU is it's like, uh, like you said, going into last season, some people thought Coach O wasn't even going to get out of the season, but he has a great season. They end up winning the uh, Fiesta Bowl, and but everyone remembers them getting blown out twenty nine to nothing. Yeah, you know, in Death Valley, and so it's always going to come back to sometimes it's like coaches are are. I'm going to say Coach O's been a great, great experience so far for LSU, especially after Les and all of his success. But he's going to be judged on how he plays against Alabama. And I think he said it last year. um, And this was like complete honesty. And I I didn't think it was an excuse out of him. He said, straight up, we don't have the players to compete with Alabama right now. Yeah. And. I think that was like one of the most honest things the coach has ever said. I don't even think it was insulting to the players within his locker room. I mean, maybe his players felt that it was, but they just didn't. And even with, uh, so it, I don't think they're going to have to go into Alabama, into T town and play them there this year. And I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they do have the guys to do it this year, but it may take a little bit longer and, We'll see. He's going to be judged on this, though. He's going to be judged on how he plays against Alabama because the the West is probably going to go through Alabama for this as long as uh, Nick's there. Or yeah, as that's at least that'd be my prediction. I think that'd be a pretty good thing to put your money on. 
That makes a lot of sense. That's smart money, as they call it in Vegas, for sure. As long as Nick Saban's at the helm at Alabama, the West probably runs through Tuscaloosa. Jack, hey, man, we really appreciate you jumping on the Punt and Pass podcast with us. Everybody go follow Jack on Twitter and Instagram. He is at CFB. He is Barstool Sports, college football writer. I really like your stuff, man. Tell everybody what your plans are for this fall. Do you have a new podcast coming out? Do you have a show coming out? What do you all have planned at Barstool for college football coverage? So so we'll do again the show, uh, which uh, sometimes goes on the road four or five games a year and then always comes out on Saturdays at 10 a.m., 11 a.m. Eastern time. And that's featuring uh, some of – the more well-known people within Barstool, which is Dave Portnoy, uh, Stool Presidente, Big Cat, Casey Smith, um, who went to Texas A&M, and she was at SEC Network, and now she's here. And then also we added Brandon Walker this year, who is a Mississippi State fan. He's moving up from Mississippi to uh, New York City to be uh, an addition to the Barstool squad. Um, I really like him. I think he's hilarious. I think he knows a lot about football and college football specifically. So that show will be great. I'll be featured on that, which I'm very excited about. And then the podcast, uh, last year we did one with Johnny, uh, Johnny Football. And this year it's looking as if it's going to be more with uh, just based on we like to keep podcasts a little bit more within the building. And that's with... uh, so it's easier so people can talk with each other and whatnot. And I think we'll be with Casey Smith, Brandon Walker, and myself. So awesome. that'll be launching at the end of August, right around when uh, the football season started. And I'm sure if you follow Barstool Sports or myself or Casey or Brandon, um, you'll see that on social media and whatnot. And that's pretty much it for the upcoming season. And I'm mostly writing. I continue to blog every day with anything that comes up that includes bow tie stories. So if Jake <laughs> wears a bow tie uh, anywhere, I'll, I'll definitely be reporting on that. But uh, yeah, Barstool, I think we're going to try to continue to uh, up the ante with our college football coverage. And because uh, in my opinion, I think it's something that uh, we haven't completely tapped into, specifically more down near you guys and down south. So hopefully that will. Uh, this this will this season will take another step towards that, and I'm very excited for the season. I think the season is going to be a lot more fun than last year. Um, not that last year wasn't a fun season, but uh, maybe a little bit uh, more storylines and whatnot. So, give me one uh, bold prediction for 2019 before we prediction. let you go. Man, uh, it was my bold prediction last year, but this is the year that Jim Harbaugh, oh, there <laughs> Jim you go. Harbaugh comes through, but. I mean, I guess it could be the year like 2040 and I'll be fired and I'll just be yelling outside Barstool Sports offices. This is going to be the year. So, <laughs> uh, but that and um, I think Utah is a team that could su- surprise some people. I think that's a team out uh, out west that maybe could sneak in, maybe save the Pac-12. How bad is it the Pac-12 is begging for Utah to be the team? I know. Sad. Like that, no, that's not, not a good feeling for you, for the Big 12 or Pac-12 <laughs> the, at all right now. Yeah, not see Oregon with their offense and Heisman quarterback and offense linemen, but we got our money on Utah this year, boys. That's that's the team that's going to hold the Pac-12 together. 
I heard uh, I heard Peter Burns from SEC Network. He was on ESPN Radio this week. His bold prediction was that Iowa State is going to win the Big 12 North and take on Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I'm going to have to do some research on that. But, uh, Jack, hey, man, we appreciate you. We will certainly pump out all of your content on our Twitter handles, at Punt and Pass, and help you guys continue to get into the Southeast. There's a lot of rabid college football fans here, so thanks for taking time out of your day. Aaron, Always, my man, appreciate you. And for everybody that's been listening, follow Jack uh, on Twitter and Instagram at JackMaxCFB and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Punt and Pass, at AaronMarie11, and I am at Drew Butler. We will talk to you next week. See you.